0: Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. And thank you most of all for your living word, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the things you have to teach us in your scripture. We pray that you would awaken our hearts to love you more and see in ever deeper ways um, how much you love us. And Father, that you would call us this day to go out into all the world and to tell people about Jesus. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's some few handouts. There's some more over there. Okay, just a little to kind of put us in um, sort of context. The way our passage ended last week leads us directly into our passage today. So this is what the last paragraph said from last week. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, here's what we have going on. There there were people that Jesus was talking about that he didn't entrust himself to, because they, they weren't believing in Jesus so much as they were trusting in the signs. It was the signs that they wanted. Now, it's good to believe in the signs because they're supposed to point us to Jesus. But in this case, it is almost as if the signs had become the end and Jesus was the means And what Jesus was understanding, because he could read their hearts, is that they were focused on those signs and the miracles Jesus was working, rather than what they were pointing to, which was Jesus himself. Okay, so all of that leads us into the visit with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus also is a person who has believed in the signs and who has come He has come to talk to Jesus about the signs and what they mean. He wants to know what the signs mean. However, what we're going to to learn about this week is we're going to learn more about Jesus' piercing insights into the hearts of men. And we will see um, Jesus dealing with the heart of this specific person. And then next week, we'll see that again. And so um, what we're going to find today is that Jesus we're going to see that Jesus, in fact, knows more about Nicodemus than Nicodemus knew about himself. And we're going to find that in this passage, Jesus will reveal to Nicodemus truths that will shake his world. So that's where we're going. And um, at the end of what we're going to talk about today, we're going to spend a little more time than usual on application. So when we get there, we'll talk about that. Okay, so the first question on your handout is, who is Nicodemus? Well, John actually gives us a lot of information in a few words about who Nicodemus is. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and we know that beyond that, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and we know beyond that, that he was a very prominent teacher in Israel. So briefly, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Nicodemus was rigorously orthodox. In other words, he was most certainly scrupulous. That's a word one commentator uh, used. I love that. He was scrupulous in keeping the law. Now, I want you to understand how scrupulous he was, because this isn't just talking about the written law in the Old Testament. No, the Pharisees depended a lot on the Talmud, and in particular the Mishnah. I may not be saying that right. But it was writings from that had gone on for generations um, during Old Testament times that w- that were written by rabbis that would tell people what the law looked like lived out. It would tell them... It was a commentary of sorts on the law, and it would it would carry such things as this. It would carry um, it would tell people how far they could carry something on the Sabbath, and we see that in in the scriptures. We see that when the layman picked up his bed, that he got in trouble because he was carrying it on the Sabbath. It, it would tell all kinds of things, but here's a here's just an example of how ridiculous it could get. If a man had a sore throat on the Sabbath. He was allowed to drink apple cider for that sore throat, but he couldn't gargle with it. So it was that kind of scrupulous law that that these were just intricate rules about how you could more righteously keep the law. So, And a lot of these laws had to do with keeping the Sabbath holy. So what we see in that understanding is that it was an externalized religious understanding of what the law was doing instead of that the law was meant to do something in our heart. Okay, beyond that, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. And what this meant was that he was a ruler of the Jews. And so he helped decide who was guilty of breaking the law, what was lawful, what sort of punishment should be meted out. And we're going to see that as we come to Jesus's trial about the Sanhedrin will be uh, bringing these these laws to bear that they had. And then we know also that Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. And so um, those, were, those were very important things that, that we know right away about Nicodemus. Now, next week, interestingly enough, we're going to look at Jesus who will meet with the Samaritan woman. And she is going to be the complete opposite from Nicodemus. And we're going to see how Jesus deals with her. Because you see, she was, um, immoral and she was religiously ignorant. And so we have these two opposite people. So we'll talk about that next week. Okay. So the next thing that we want to look at is what did Nicodemus think he needed to know? Why did he come to see Jesus? Do we think? Well, we don't know for sure, but we can imagine. First of all, how does he address Jesus? Well, he addresses Jesus as a rabbi. And, um, rabbi that's an honorable title nicodemus was a rabbi and it was honorable because jesus hadn't been taught in the way that most rabbis were taught so it was an honorable title but one of the things that that probably it's it's interesting that he doesn't ask jesus if he is Uh, the prophet who has come. He doesn't ask Jesus if, if he's Elijah. No, he just addresses him as rabbi. And it's almost as if he's putting him on the same level as himself. Rabbi to rabbi kind of thing is where we start out. And then he says, we know. And the question is there, in the commentaries, was Nicodemus just be hiding behind the we, or was he really representing a group of people? And if he was, we don't know who those were, but most likely he was. Okay. And so he goes on to say, okay, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so right away, we get the feeling that Nicodemus wants to know more. That, that he wants to know who Jesus is and what his purpose is. And so that's what we hear from Nicodemus. And all of a sudden, it's almost like Jesus just breaks in. He just kind of breaks in because Jesus knew what Nicodemus really needed to know. You see, Jesus was seeing his heart. And Nicodemus did need to know Jesus. He did. But he was asking all the wrong questions. He was seeking all the wrong information. And so... Abruptly, Jesus changes the subject. And he says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, and that means, amen, amen. That means, listen up. The, what I'm going to say is of momentous importance. That's kind of what those words meant at the beginning of a sentence. And it was, it was just to awaken the hearer, to listen carefully. And so what does Jesus say? He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As a little parenthesis, we've already gotten a taste of this from the prologue, because in John one twelve and thirteen, uh, Jesus says uh, the prologue says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. So we've had a taste that we're going to hear about that. And here we are. John is unfolding this to us. Unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And, and I want you to note, too, that imagine what a complete paradigm shift this would have been for Nicodemus. Because Jesus is now saying, he says... Unless one is born again, he is saying new birth is absolutely necessary if you are to see the kingdom of God. And you have to understand that the Jews were looking for a kingdom to come. They were looking for a king to come. They were looking for this new time that was coming. And Jesus is saying, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. There is no other way available to you. And he is saying... You cannot see these things because they are spiritually discerned. So Nicodemus must have been completely shaken by this because it made no sense to him. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus as this monument of a, a learned teacher of the scriptures, and he he is now at a complete loss. He didn't he didn't argue with Jesus rabbi to rabbi and say well if you go to such and such a passage you'll find there it wasn't any of that the only thing he could answer at this point is he the only thing he could do is complain about the irrationality of jesus's statement how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again it's as if he is saying what this makes no sense what are you talking about and so then jesus says the same thing in a little different way. He says again, truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born of, the wa- of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, Jesus is expressing the absolute necessity of the new birth. But this time he tells Nicodemus what, what has to happen to him. You must be born of water in the spirit. And, and really what Jesus is explaining here is that the new, in this new birth, you are cleansed inside. There's something cleansed inside. This isn't something that happens. This is you're cleansed inside and you have a new birth. And you're given a new heart this is a completely new new nature that is happening. And and here's the interesting thing. Jesus is talking about transformation, not reformation. All of Nicodemus's life he's lived by reformation. Oh, I need to keep this law better. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, people need to do this. It was always about reformation, reforming your way of acting, reforming how you did this, reforming how you kept the law. And what Jesus is talking about is something outside of Nicodemus. He's talking about a transformation that happens to you. And so Jesus continues by explaining that, Okay, Nicodemus, you have something right. There are two births. Because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit, and that birth is spiritual. So, so he's told Nicodemus he has to be born again. He's told him twice, and he's told him that this new birth includes getting, being washed inside, being made clean inside, and receiving a new heart and a new spirit. So then Jesus looked, is you can imagine they're having this dialogue and jesus is looking at nicodemus and he said to nicodemus do not marvel that i said to you you must be born again and the actual translation one commentator says it's it's as if jesus what jesus is actually saying to nicodemus is this stop being surprised Stop being surprised. And also, we need to note that all of a sudden, Jesus switches to the plural. Because he says, Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And what he's talking about is everyone. Everyone must be born again. I'm not just talking about you, Nicodemus. I'm talking about that in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That includes everyone no exceptions. Okay. So, and then Jesus goes on. He's going to tell him more. He has more information. So he's given him all this information. And he says, this is how it happens, Nicodemus. It's not like fleshly birth. It's like this. When the wind blows, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes and he says so is everyone who is born of the spirit because the spirit comes and you don't know where it comes from and you don't know upon whom it's going to land but you can see the results of that new birth now here's where we come to Nicodemus and we can imagine knowing what we talked about at the very beginning why Nicodemus is surprised because he had lived his life sure of his own righteousness. He was a keeper of the law to every jot and tittle. And now Jesus is telling him he needs to be completely transformed. He needs to be cleansed and given a new heart. And he is telling him, Nicodemus, you can't do this. You thought you could keep everything and, and, earn your way to heaven you can't do this this is not something you do this is something that happens to you and his answer to Jesus at this point is how can these things be how can these things be now at that point it seems a little bit surprising because Jesus rebukes Nicodemus and what he, he is i think he probably is causing Nicodemus to examine himself because he says to Nicodemus are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? And he uses the. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? You are the one who should be teaching these truths. And implicit in this rebuke that Jesus gives to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus has to realize, I'm not understanding anything you are saying. And if he thought further, he must realize that I don't have spiritual eyes to see. You're saying things I cannot understand. And at that point, we hear no more from Nicodemus. And But Jesus goes on in this monologue and continues talking to him. And so here's what he says. He says again, amen, amen. And he says, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Now there are several different thoughts on who the we are. Some people think it's the disciples. Some people think it is um, uh, the people. Just different people. people I, I don't know. I forget where who who all it is. But I kind I believe. I don't know. Um, we talked about this in leaders group, but it it just seems to to me and several commentators and Kathleen Nielsen, that this has to be referring to the Trinity. That, that Jesus is saying, we, we know these things. We speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not, and you again here is plural, you do not receive our testimony. And he's essentially saying, what we are saying is the absolute truth. I can tell you this is the absolute truth. And then he goes on, Jesus goes on, and he says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? And earthly things seems to refer to the realm of this pleasant life, present life, things that are, that are earthly, things that the teacher should have understood as the teacher of Israel. And, and it actually, it's talking about the necessity of new birth. And we looked at in our homework um, such passages as Ezekiel thirty six, where where it says, and and this is this is speaking of God doing this. He says, "I will sprinkle clean water, I will give you a new heart, and the and the Spirit, my Spirit, will be upon you." And so, the idea is Nicodemus is so surprised he can't even understand anything that's. Being said, but he should have understood this thing. This and after Ezekiel thirty six comes into Ezekiel thirty seven, which is what it's the Valley of the Dry Bones, where Jesus comes and and the bones rise up. The but it was absolutely dead, and the bones rise up. And so this is what he's telling Nicodemus. And he says, "So you don't understand these things that you should have known. How shall then you believe if I tell you heavenly things?" but heavenly things are the things that Jesus is about to unfold. And he says this, he says, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this isn't about someone going to heaven to get information. It isn't about some prophet receiving information about this. It's something exceedingly more amazing because it is the one who was in heaven, who has always been in heaven, who was, was there from all eternity. And he is the one who has come from heaven and has come down to make new birth possible. The incarnation is the link here. And that, then Jesus goes on to show why this is important. And we don't have time to go into all the riches. I hope you had time to talk about the the serpent in the desert being li- lifted up, and the the uh, <laughs> the um, and Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Because Jesus is he is giving this comparison of the Son of Man being li- linked lifted up with the story from Nicodemus. And and what needs to be pointed out here is that. God is the God the Son is on the cross. That God the Son, who had eternally been in heaven, has come down. And not only that, he is going to be on the cross. And that is how it can be, Nicodemus. That's how it can be. That is how you can have eternal life. It is because I have come down from heaven and that I will hang on the cross. And all you have to do is to look upon me and believe that I have carried your sins for you. That I have paid for your sins. New birth does not occur without the cross. It cannot occur without the cross. The Son of Man is lifted up on the cross that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Nicodemus, this everyone who believes in him will enter the kingdom of God. Now, that is amazing. That is is what Jesus is teaching here. And I think it should be here that that we should all say how can this be because this is an astonishing thing and so jesus and so now john is going to unfold this and and expand our understanding even more and and it begins with the unspeakable love of god and this is what he says what is the reason first of all that god would make eternal life available for rebellious sinners at such a cost And the answer that John gives us is because God loved the world. And that is the measure of the love that he has for us. The the measure is in the cost of the gift he gave. And the cost of the gift he gave, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And one of the commentators said that that word that he sent his son, he gave his son, that word actually means he surrendered his son. And we talked about this in, in leaders group and just how it is. I think we just kind of think God just sent a son. He just sent a son. But this carries the idea that God surrendered his son. That this wasn't something that he just did without thought that God was surrendering his son. He was sending him his son to this dark world and he knew what was going to happen and god knew he was going to put his judgment on jesus christ and god sent his son and that's how much he loved the world and john is saying he loved the world to that measure he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and he goes on and he says he gave him not to condemn the world because what was it it was already condemned. There was no hope. There was no hope anywhere in the earth. But he sent his son not to condemn the world. But that that world, that rebellious world, might be saved through him. And my friends, the only reason you and I can understand those things is because we have been given new eyes. We've been given a new heart. We have the spirit of God. We have a new nature inside us. That is the only reason we believe. It is nothing we do. There is nothing that we have done. It's because God sent his son. It's because God so loved the world, which brings us to our application. Because there lies this before us, this world in darkness. And it's a world that rejects such a God and such a Savior and such love. And there there are many who will not enter the kingdom of God. We already know that. There are many who will not. However, there are those who will believe, but they have to know. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is... um, uh, (laughs) an interesting thing i've just been really moved by all of this and by things that have been going on i'm going to tell you that in a minute but do not think i'm saying this because i love to share the gospel because i am the worst and i have so often turned away from opportunities to share the gospel because i didn't want to embarrass anyone because i wanted to be loved by someone because when I, I heard someone say that we care more about how people judge us than how they will be judged on the last day, that's me. That's who I am. And here's the thing. This, this has just been happening in the last year that, that God has been working on my heart about this. I started praying about this about a year ago, And this is what I finally decided because I had tried. I tried. And I realized that what I needed to do is that I needed to ask the Lord to let me care enough to share his love with people. That it wasn't about a law. It wasn't about, oh, you have to share the gospel and feeling guilty about that. No, it was about loving people enough about loving God enough that I want him to be glorified. About wanting people to c- hear this gospel. So, I have praying, been praying for that heart of love. Well, twice in the last month, I've been given opportunities to share my faith and and these are out of nowhere opportunities. And you know what? I was faithful. Did I do it perfectly? No, I did not. Did they accept Christ? Not yet. Will they? I don't know. I can't read their hearts. I do believe seeds have been planted, and I have been praying, praying, praying for those people. But that's part of the freedom that God gives us. I can't change hearts. And so I can love that person enough to tell them about Jesus. But... God must change their hearts. They must be born from above. And I can't read hearts, so I don't know what the outcome will be. But I will continue to try to be faithful. Will I always do it? No. I really won't, but I am praying, and I am praying, and I am praying that God will continue to give me the courage and the trust and the faith to share And maybe someone else will come along to those people and water the seeds. I don't know. What I do know is this, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. I have to want people to hear that. I have to realize that that is the choice. It must be love that drives us to tell people, love for God and love for others. Here's what I want to say is evangelism is hard and it's becoming even harder because the world is becoming darker. And what we as Christians have to say is anathema to people because they see us as people who believe these things and they think we're ignorant. And it happens. But, you see, we need to tell them because we don't know what God will do in their hearts. We have no idea what God will do in their hearts. And it says in this passage that the judgment has come and the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than their rather than the light because their deeds were evil. It will be true. You will be rejected. Not everyone you share the gospel with will believe. But the most important thing is that we love God enough to do that. It's not that we fail. That's God's business. Our business is to be faithful and share. This beautiful light has come into the world and he shines on the deeds of everyone. And it shows their need of a savior and their need to be born again as their only hope. But men love the darkness instead of the light. They love their evil ways. They don't want to turn to the light. And the only hope, according to our passage, the only hope is that they must be born again that's their only hope now it goes on to say that for others who there can be that that John goes on to say that the way that it can be truly seen that one's deeds have been carried out in God that's how we know is that that we begin to believe that's how you're going to know it's not because they're, they, they immediately, everything about them changes. Sometimes that happens. It may be slow. We don't know. But what John is saying is when one turns to God, it is because God has looked, God has caused them to be born again, and they have looked on the one who is lifted up for them. It wasn't their works. It was his works. It was the beautiful one who went to the cross for them. And when they look at the cross, and when we look at the cross, It tells us two things. It tells us the cross, we look at the cross and it says how much, how evil we are, how rebellious we are, and what the cost of our sin is. Because Jesus had to hang on that cross. Jesus had to come from heaven. There was no other way. God had to surrender his son. That's the cost. But the other part of it is Jesus would pay it. And the price that he paid was an infinite price. And it covers every sin. It co- covers every one of our sins. So, we are being sent now into the world to love the world with this glorious truth. And we have to remember that there's only two alternatives. Genuine faith, our defiant rebellion. And there, for those who believe there is eternal life and all that encompasses eternal life forever and ever and ever and evermore, or there is looming judgment and the wrath of God remains. Why does the wrath of God remain? Because they do not accept the Son upon which God poured his wrath in their place. That's what we have to believe. The wrath of judgment fell upon Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, then your sins remain on you, and the wrath of God remains upon you. He's asking you to let Jesus bear the weight of your sin. God's love is infinite, loving, giving, unchanging. Darwin called it the unstoppable goodness of God on the move. That's what's going on. And we can now say, as he is sending us, we can say with this glorious truth, Amen, Amen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, um, do you awaken our hearts to love people that much, to share? Why is it so hard? I don't know, Lord, but it is. Would you awaken our hearts with new love to share that beautiful truth that you have caused to be alive in us? How can we not want to do that? We pray that this church and that Trinity Church would be people who love to tell of Jesus. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.